John the Baptist, the son of Zachariah and Elizabeth, is often called the forewarner of Jesus. And prior to his arrest by King Herod, John preached a message of repentance and faithful living, calling forth the one who was more powerful than I, who the crowds came to know as Jesus. Now John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I, I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thank you to God. God. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You brood of vipers. <laughs> what a text. Thank you so much. That wasn't nice of John to call people who came, you know, to hear him. He should have said, welcome. I'm so glad you've come. It's quite a walk. Some of you have really come quite a distance. Welcome. That's what your pastor does. That greeting, that image, brood of vipers, venomous, deadly snakes. Not the kind that you can gently hold and if they bite you, venomous, deadly snakes. That greeting and image would certainly better fit, wouldn't it? The congregation assembled before a World War II chaplain named Henry Garricky. Fifteen men incarcerated at Nuremberg, Germany, awaiting trial. Some of Hitler's highest disciples. Who, by the way, not only those 15, 
but almost all tried at Nuremberg, proclaimed they were Christians and Lutherans. Men with that much evil in them brood of vipers fits, doesn't it? Fits perfectly. Some people believe they didn't deserve a chaplain. It was very controversial. There's an excellent book, The Cross and the Swastika. I think it's still in print. It's an easy read. It is a shocking read. You're going to offer the sacrament to these men? Well, I've been in the pulpit for about two minutes, two and a half minutes, and I've already succumbed to what the first viper listed in the scriptures, the deadliest one, wants me to do. And that's deflect. When we talk about sin, let's not talk about us. Let's talk about others. Let's point fingers at others who really deserve to be called sinners, not us. Shift the focus. Shift the focus. It's pretty easy to do if you grow up hating some people, if your family system encouraged you. We don't like those people. Martin Niemöller said that's one of the reasons why, when he infamously, uh, famously wrote, when they first came for these, I didn't stand up. I'm not one of them. When they came for these, I didn't stand up. When they came for these, I came for these. And finally, when they came for me, there's no one left to stand up. He later said in the 1960s before he died, he confessed the reason why was deep in me. I didn't like some of those people anyway. There was a Lutheran theologian about 160 years ago named Soren Kierkegaard. He's still worth reading. His theology is not a lot of Lutheran's theology, but mine over the last decade or two really started nodding my head towards Kierkegaard. He beautifully stressed the problem of spiritual and religious deflection, doing it as much as possible as quickly as possible, shift the focus always to others. He wrote, and I quote, Christianity is not at all right to stress that all humankind needs Christianity and then to prove it and demonstrate it. He says, it is not society, my generation, my nation, my community, my church, my friends. No, it is I who need the relationship of God that Christianity proclaims is available to me in Jesus Christ. And even when we rightly quote the scriptures, remember the devil quoted it perfectly. The devil loves it when people quote scripture out of context, which many people do, and sometimes... We pastors even get caught up in it. I more than once in 35 years of ministry. Well, don't you know, all sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, pastor. There is no one, no, not one who is without sin. Romans 3.10-12 also 
Psalm 14, verse 3. And there's many other passages that deflect to the corporate. But not me. I don't want to talk about me. You know, in the old green book, when I was here, <laughs> I finally get to say that. You know, when I was here, we had the old green book and the old confession and forgiveness quoted 1 John 4, 8. If we say we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and righteous will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My father can quote about five hymnals. Dad sends you greetings. He wanted so badly to be here, but uh, he just couldn't make the trip. If you say you don't have sin, serious sin, as a baptized Lutheran Christian, you, my sisters and brothers, have deceived yourself, and the truth is not in you. You're lying. Advent celebrates the coming of Christ. There was a time he hadn't shown up yet. They were waiting. We celebrate he came. He's here, as Zephaniah says. He's in your midst. What's he here for? Another gospel says to save man from himself. I love that. To save man from himself. Not from some foreign nation, a political group. To save man from himself. One of the worst sins our Messiah ever had to deal with was the sin that kept many from being able to see God wanted radical, life-transforming, God-offered miracles to be worked in and through them. They had eyes, but they couldn't see it. They had ears, they couldn't hear it. Because the sin that I'm talking about, that John the Baptist is talking about, was in them like stage 12 cancer. And they were clueless. Kierkegaard, the Christian stress is always, I need Christianity. Remember these? Lord, I am sinful. Be merciful to me. By the way, the publican, it was his prayer, and then there was a Pharisee. His prayer was, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like them, the deflector. And the one the Lord loved was the sinner who admitted, I am. I'm eat up. Please be merciful to me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51. 
There are so many verses that really are so appropriate. Advent went through a giant shift. I inherited my grandfather's library and my father's library. Advent used to be the winter Lent. Some of you are older than me and you may remember this, jog your memory. It, the color was purple. And I think it changed when I was ordained. But it used to be purple. Give it its own color. And lift up more expectation and hope but it used to be called the Winter Lent. And the repentance passages, the sin passages, the, like this one, they, they were big. Go back to the Nazi war criminals who orchestrated the extermination of more than six million Jews. That, that was horrific in and of itself. But you read the books on what happened. Oh, they took on everybody in the society that a group of them just didn't like. And through propaganda, constant, 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 you get the culture to start really going after large groups of people without consequence. Does that sound familiar? How could a Christian, a baptized Christian, willingly do what those war criminals did? Let's get a little bit more recent. Let's go to 1974. From 1974 to 1991, in the state of Kansas, something horrible was happening. Bodies that had been brutally murdered were being found a year, two, three later. And there was a pattern eventually established. And eventually there was a man who was arrested. And some of you remember, he made the front of the Lutheran magazine. Not only was he a baptized Lutheran, he was a member of church council and had served as president. Which begs the question also, again, but they're baptized. Doesn't that, guard, doesn't that water guard you in some way? Kierkegaard's got a lot of good talking about that. He says, I'm not opposed to infant baptism, but I wasn't, I was born a sinner, but not one who even has a clue what sin is. And when I become an adult, I should know what sin is. I should be taught what sin is. He says, the problem with infant baptism, and it was with the Nazi war criminals, and it was, I think, with that man, is it's the cheap insurance policy. Get one and done. Guaranteed to go to heaven. You got wet. John the Baptist was looking at people, men, I, they'd been circumcised as a baby. That was their, in, their infant baptism. The young girls had been dedicated. And as long as they made one pilgrimage to Jerusalem a year for the forgiveness, sin, money, and sacrifice, some animal and some money, they were good to go. They were God's people. That sounds like 
too many Lutherans I've met over the decades who loved that we defined a member in good standing in this congregation and every congregation I serve. You know what it takes to be a member in good standing? Many of you do. You attend church once a year, a record of attendance once a year of communion, and we won't tell you how much money, a penny, if you're that cheap, a penny will do. And you're good to go. You're a member in good standing. Right. Eligible for church council. Right. I served a congregation that had a graveyard. They loved that. They wanted to be buried free in the graveyard. One man claimed he was a member. I was trying to straighten out the church roles. Lordy, who is a member here and who is not? Because we have rules for the graveyard. Don't build a graveyard here. Don't. You've got the column barrier. That's fine. But don't. That's my, my dear father-in-law now resting in the Lord. When I went left here to go develop a church, he said, I just have one piece of advice of you. John, don't build a graveyard. I was trying to find out in one church, who's a member? And so we sent letters out to people. Uh, your name is on this. Uh, are, you, are you, it may be that we, our records, if so, would you please get in touch with us? A man came in one day, man, he was a viper. And he, he said to me and the secretary at the same time, I know what the hell you want. And he slammed a $100 bill down. He's, and he had the, the, my letter. I'm a member of this church, and I better stay on its roll. And walked out the door. I, I'm telling you, sir, sir, who are, what, what is your name? Who is that? And I asked people who grew up there, and they didn't even know him. That's how infrequent he came. Sure enough, we actually found his name on a very old file in the safe. He was about 70. I'm good to go. I'll tell you where you can go. We're on, we're on television. Oh, oops, I better not do that. All right, let's stick, John. This is a problem I had when I was here. Stick to the text, John. Stick to the text. Here's what happens when you don't take sin in yourself seriously. Here's what happens too often. It's what St. Peter wind up writing about to the early Christian community and especially for church leaders, but it's for everybody. St. Peter says, and I quote, be sober-minded and be watchful, your adversary, the devil, John the Baptist would say, the viper of vipers. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone. Notice the singular, someone, not a group of people. Well, those people join together with like minds, but it starts with individual thinking, what's in your head or your heart, your soul. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone 
devour. So much that they can even come to church and go through the rituals. And there's another side to them that could brutally kill people every day. The young man who shot the Emmanuel 11, one of my classmates was the Emmanuel 11 at seminary. That young man was a member of a Lutheran church in Columbia, baptized and confirmed Lutheran, but was feeding on ideology that just wasn't of Jesus Christ. It was sinful. What Chaplain Garricky found out was when the men were arrested, something happened and they, many of them wept and asked him genuinely, have I crossed the line that God cannot pardon me? Have I crossed the line? The man who wrote the book was a, a historian and he interviewed, not all the war criminals got the death penalty. Some of them did and that's why they were real. I'm getting ready to be executed. And I do have faith and I don't know what happened to me. The culture, but I, I, I don't want not to be pardoned. The author of the book said, one who did not get executed, who went into seclusion, allowed himself to be interviewed. And he told the author, he said, it was the chaplain, Garricky, or Garecki. He had a, a warm heart about him, but oh Lord, was he tough on sin. And he was never going to give anyone cheap grace. He feared God too much. And that's what's bothered me over the years. I think at times I gave out cheap grace. And I should have been a little more John the Baptist with some of you and some of every congregation. But also, I confess to you, my brothers and sisters, I haven't perfected dealing with the stuff that John the Baptist was talking about in those people's lives either, because my own life has had its struggles. Here's the good news. With good news, John said, Messiah came to reveal sin, the Spirit's job is to convict sin. Point it out, name sin to sin. Dr. Carl Menninger wrote a great book in the 70s, Whatever Happened to Sin? It's still sin, even though it's been trivialized, rationalized, and glorified. It's still sin. But Messiah comes to help us conquer it. It needs to be confessed. We don't know how many people stepped forward when John called them. 
Because you see, my brothers and sisters, if you step forward and you're in that crowd, you are admitting you're a sinner. And depending on who is in that crowd, it might get you killed. We don't know what kind of confession. Was it private confession with John or was it public confession? And depending on what was confessed, you might be killed by the priest in a group that won't point to the law. But Messiah dealt with the worst of sinners. And when there was genuine grief and attempt for repentance, he was glad to give them a pardon. He came to forgive sinners. But not with cheap grace. It cost him his life. Your sin and my sin cost him his life. Not somebody else. Your sin and my sin crucified the man. The worst thing I can do is trivialize my sin. Because if I'm not careful, it'll mess my life up. My marriage, my family, my business, my community, my nation. I have seen the work of Messiah in so many people. I have wept tears of joy. They finally got help. Because I had to bury too many that didn't. They really didn't get serious about sin and salvation. I watched people's businesses change. who took sin seriously. I said at the earlier service, I don't want to create more work for your pastor, but one of the best things you could do is just spend time with him. He would love it. They were the best pastoral moments where people really, the spirit was stirring in them, and they said, Pastor, let's go talk. And they knew I wasn't going to condemn them, but they needed to unload some stuff. And really here, can, I know that this isn't right, but this is not going to be an easy road for me to change. So would you pray for me? Would you help me? This is like AA. i got to be held accountable to some stuff I need to talk with you. That's beautiful. That's the spirit working, changing a life. I have seen the Messiah do that and bring peace which passes understanding, joy of living, I'm going to close with something. I'm not bragging. It was, a, it was a tearful moment. Recently, my wife and I have been going through a lot of house changing and, oh, mercy. And being retired, I walked into my closet one day, and I saw all the clothes. I went, oh, my gosh, how did I buy all these things? What was I doing buying all these suits and shirts and shoes? And I started giving them away. Some of them were pretty expensive. Give them away. I gave some away to people personally. I, I, there's a Christian mission um, to see people put on stuff. In my last parish, we had a clothes closet. And to see underprivileged boys, I helped them learn to tie a tie. 
and we had clothes for him. And this one, one kid ran up to me three times with tears. He was 15, just hugging me. He was wearing one of my Joseph Bank suits. Oh, God. He just looked at himself in the mirror. But that's not on But recently, Mandy and I are doing, we don't, we don't need two cars anymore. We need one car. And so hers was older. Let's get rid of yours and just have one car. So what do we do with the car? It was a good Volvo. Still had a lot of miles on it. Well, one of the workers at our house, hard worker, his boss said he's the first to show up every day. I noticed he would always park a certain way, and that's because his, his old beat-up vehicle had no reverse. So whenever he came to our house, he had to go a certain way because there was no reverse. And he was trying to get a transmission and an engine repaired, whatever, and he was being taken advantage of. And many thousands of dollars, and I heard about that, and so Mandy and I said, look, we only need one car. Rather than sell hers, let's give him her Volvo. He and his wife and kids came to our house and in our driveway, may we pray with you? Thank you, Lord. I mean, they, it, it was their salvation. We could have gotten a couple thousand dollars. What we needed was the joy of giving something to someone who had none. It's not just my joy. That can be your joy, a joy you teach your children, your grandchildren, a joy you display before neighbors. It's not bragging, it's leadership. Who makes that happen? Messiah. I miss y'all. I miss the music. Thanks. Good to be here.